So early on in the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln made George McClellan the commander-in-chief of the Union Army. I think I've got a picture of the two of them here. This was in October of 1862. McClellan was 34 years old when he was put in command of 200,000. And McClellan was a phenomenally inspiring soldier. He was popular with the troops. He organized them. He trained them. He taught them how to be soldiers. He made them feel like soldiers. When he walked into a room, they wanted to be like him because he just had the optics, George McClellan. When he inspected their camps, they wanted to make sure that they pleased him. Uh, he kept them busy. He kept them trained. He kept them fed. He kept them clothed. He made sure that they uh, were properly quartered and well taken care of. He made sure uh, that there were hospitals and doctors for all of them. He was, he was a general. Historians say that George McClellan had every virtue necessary in a war leader except one. He did not like to fight. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He was afraid to fight. And so he always assumed that his enemy, or that he was outnumbered by the enemy. And not liking to fight is a severe handicap for someone who's leading a massive army. And history says that McClellan, here's the quote, behaved with unending caution in a situation that offered prizes to the daring. And that picture that I showed you uh, with Lincoln was taken after the Battle of Antietam. Uh, September the 17th, 1862, the single bloodiest day in uh, uh, American warfare. History says that the Union could have won that day making it an 18-month civil war. He had the Confederates pinned up against the river, and all McClellan needed to do was just push the accelerator. That's all he needed to do. He had Lee's battle plans, detailed battle plans that they had come across. I mean, it was talk about, talk about a gift. All, he, had the, he knew what Lee was going to do, so all he had to do was just push the accelerator. But he didn't. He was afraid. And Lee got away, and the war dragged on. He had the upper hand, historians say, and he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know. What to, and then here's the quote, and then we'll be done with McClellan. George McClellan made a career 
of missing the point of his responsibilities. Hmm. And then there was Samson. The 12th judge in the book of Judges, the book of Judges, that tumultuous Wild West period of history between the exodus of Israel from Egypt and the monarchy, about four centuries. And everybody knew who was in charge at the exodus, Moses. Moses is in charge. Moses is God's man. Moses is the leader. And once the monarchy began, we're speaking of King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Everybody knew who was in charge then. But it was that middle period that the book of Judges tries to answer the question, who will lead Israel? And for about 400 years, Israel kind of limped along with, with poor leadership. And, and there were a series of judges, and, and Samson is the 12th. And by the time you get to Samson, you're just thinking, maybe this is going to be the season. Maybe this is going to be the person. Maybe this is going to be the leader. And, and it looks like Samson's beginning was promising. Uh, we're talking about a miraculous birth announcement by an angel to a childless woman. We're talking about the Lord's blessing. That's what Judges 13 says. We're talking about the Holy Spirit stirring uh, in Samson's life. No one had the promising beginning that Samson had. And yet, Scripture says, Samson made a career of missing the point of his responsibilities. And nowhere is this clear then in Judges chapter 15, which is where we are today. If you have your Bibles, that's where I'd like you to turn. Judges chapter 15, you'll find that on page 215 of your church Bibles. And we're going to read verses 9 through 16 this morning. And we're going to just follow the storyline and then come to a lesson. So this is about what's the story and then what's the point. Judges 15, 9 through 16. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. 
Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. This is God's word. Hmm. What's going on in these verses here? This chapter is really about two words, faithless and faithful. This chapter is about the the faithlessness of everybody who doesn't live in heaven (laughs) versus the faithfulness of the one who reigns from heaven. And that's what I want us to see as this chapter unfolds. This chapter, which is really a, a snapshot of a broader frame of what God is doing in the lives of his people. Well, the story begins actually at the beginning of chapter 15 when Samson returns to Philistia to go get his wife. Well, he thinks that she's his wife. In chapter 14, the Samsonite code, I see something, I want something. Samson saw a Philistine. Samson, you're not supposed to marry into the Philistines. You were supposed to fight the Philistines. But he sees a Philistine lady that is right for him in his own eyes. And he pursues. And then he gets into a scuffle with the Philistines. And 30 casualties later, Samson leaves angry and leaves her at the altar, and the father then gives her to Samson's best man. So Samson comes back in chapter 15, and he returns to Timnah with a goat. Now that's supposed to be romantic. Yeah, yeah, we'd bring flowers or chocolates. No, not Samson. He brings a goat. Okay. The girl's father's got this deer-in-the-headlight look in his eyes. And it's like, well, I thought you didn't, well, what do you mean? And, well, I, I, so, so I gave her to your best man. And Samson's absolutely furious. He's enraged. And so he leaves and he chases down 300 either jackals or foxes, ties them by the tail, uh, two by two, with a torch between the tail, and he sends them zigzagging off into the fields of the Philistines. Now, did you notice in verse 1, it says that at the time of the wheat harvest... So it's harvest time. He sets these foxes ablaze, and and in short order, he torches their entire economy. He ruins not only the fields of wheat, he ruins the, the, the olive orchards, and, you know, Samson's laughing it up, and he's just ruined their economy. 
The Philistines want revenge. Verse 6, who has done this? And they know who did this. And so they go, we're talking mafia style here. They go to the the father and the bride and they want revenge. And they end up doing to to that father and that bride what they threatened in chapter 14. Verse 6 says the Philistines came up and burned her. Burned her father with fire. These guys aren't messing around. Well, now Samson's furious. You see what's going on here? It's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And verses 7 and 8 say, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And then it says in verse 8, He struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. That's a figure for a crippling blow that takes place. Then he says, do you notice that phrase? And after that, I will quit, verse 7. And after that, I will quit. You kind of get the idea that Samson wants out now. But he has started something that he can't, uh, that's out of his control now. See? That's the way temptation is, isn't it? We get down this little small path and we take little steps And we build a path, and we pave a highway, and we form a habit, and that leads us to a destination that we never intended to go. Is anybody here taking little steps, going to places, pace by pace, to a place that you never really intended to go? And I think that's what's happening here. And after he's done... He hides out in a cave at a place called Edom. That's there in verse 8. Do you see that? He stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in here. Well, of course, the Philistines want revenge too. So they show up in mass against the tribe of Judah at Lehi. Look at verse 9. We want Samson. We have come up to bind Samson to do to him what he did to us. And notice what happens next. 3,000 men from Judah tell the Philistines, well, just hang on. We'll go get him. We'll go get him. So they go to Edom looking for Samson, and there they find him. Now pay attention. Because if there's ever a Braveheart moment, this is it. 3,000 men of Judah go to Samson. I mean, you're just expecting, the, the reader's following along and is just expecting your Judah to say, Samson, lead us. They may take our lives, but they won't take our Freedom! Yeah! Freedom! They were Scottish Hebrews. Um, they, they took one of those 23andMe tests, and that, that's who they were. I, I don't know. But right, I mean, that's it! That's not it. They were, <laughs> they were not Scottish. They were squeamish. Look. Look, look at verse 11. Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Oh, my goodness. This was the tribe who in Judges chapter 1, verse 6, captured Jerusalem. 
This was the tribe that said, we'll go up against the Canaanites. We'll take the lead. This was the tribe that says, we'll take on the Perizzites. How do you go from, how do you go from Judges 1 to this in Judges 15? Well, don't you know the Philistines rule over us? That's just, our, that's just our reality now. How does that happen? That happens, listen, little by little by little by little by little. Unwise decision followed by unwise decision followed by unwise decision. And do you know what's sad here in these verses? Do you notice? Do you notice what's going on here? Everybody is talking about what's been done to them. That's all they care about, what's been done to them. Verse 10, the Philistines. We're going to do to Samson what he did to us. The, the men of Judah. Samson, what have you done to us? Verse 11, Samson says, well, hey, you know, as they did to me, I'll do to them. Right? Does that not sound familiar? What have you done to me? I, I, I know I may be partly responsible. You're more responsible. What about me? What about me? And the men of Judah say, well, you know, we, we, we want to we hand you over to the Philistines. You know, we just, we don't want to rock the boat anymore. Verse 12, we've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. Samson says, well, swear to me that you won't attack me yourselves. Just don't kill me. Promise me you won't kill me. And the 3,000 from Judah say, we promise we won't kill you. We're going to hand you over to the Philistines and they're going to kill you. <laughs> Thanks. But that's, that's what... That's what the, the intent was. So they bind him with what? Fresh ropes. Fresh ropes. New ropes. And they brought him up from the rock. And in verse 14, it was almost like the minute they brought him up, the, the 3,000 just kind of dissolve from the story, right? And it's just Samson and it's just the Philistines. And the moment the Philistines see Samson in the text, you see that? The moment they see him, they roar like the lion roared in Judges chapter 14. And once the lion roared, what happened after the lion roared? The lion roared and the spirit rushed. And the Philistines roared and the spirit rushed. The spirit of God rushed upon Samson. And look at verses 14 and 15. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. What did he snap that thing off? And he took that and it became a lethal weapon in his hand. He put out his hand and he took it and by sunset there was a pile of Philistine bodies, he struck a thousand men. And old Samson, he's a poet. Huh? He's a poet warrior, right? With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I struck down a thousand men. Now, this is in English. It kind of gets lost in the translation, but the word donkey and heaps upon heaps in the Hebrew rhymes. See, he's a poet. Uh, one scholar says the closest in English would be like this. With the jawbone of an ass, I piled him in a mass. Uh, yeah, that's right. 
That's, that's Samson. He could write. Yeah. Yeah. And he called the place Ramath-Lehi, verse 17. It means Jawbone Hill. Jawbone Hill. Well, after a long day like that, he was thirsty. Verse 18, he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord. First time we hear Samson pray. <laughs> and he wants water. And the Lord was gracious. Verse 19, God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi. And water came out of it. And Samson's thirst was so quenched, you know, his spirit returned, he was revived. He said, no, I'm not going to call it Jawbone Hill. I'm going to call it En Hachor. En Hachor. Collars Spring. Collars Spring. The spring of the one who calls upon the Lord. Verse 19 says it is at Lehi to this day. And verse 20 concludes this chapter. It says, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. That is a cool story, isn't it? Uh, a lot of action going on and a lot of Braveheart stuff. And What's the point, though? What's the point in all this? I mean, you know, surely we don't want to make the point, go be like Samson, <laughs> right? I don't, I, no, I really don't think that's it. Don't, the point is not go channel your inner Samson, okay? There's really no sense in trying to find something redemptive from any human in this text. Because I'm not sure that was the point anyway. The point of the passage becomes clear when we ask the question, what do we learn about God? I mean, isn't that why we're here? <laughs> isn't that why we sang, great is thy faithfulness? God's heart, God's character. Well, here's the answer, and it's really the big idea of this chapter. And you can find it in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If, if we are faithless, he's faithful. So God is faithful to accomplish his purposes. God will finish what he begins. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So when we consider... The faithlessness in this chapter. I mean, let's just go right to the Philistines at first. Uh, chapter 15 is a chapter that's organized between minor successes and major defeats. So in chapter 15, the Philistines, you know, give Samson's bride away. That's a minor success for the Philistines. But Samson wrecks their economy. That's a major defeat. 
And then the Philistines, you know, make up a, 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 a mob to go get Samson. But what does Samson do? He waylays thousands of them. Minor success followed by major defeat. That's what's going on here. Philistine minor success, but God's major defeat against a people who want to see his people go extinct. Don't weep for the Philistines. Their end game was Israel's extinction. But they will not succeed because God is faithful. One scholar calls this chapter the stupidity of the Philistines. He makes fools of those who oppose his purposes. You might think you get ahead in the first round, but God always wins the match, always. And you have to read this the way the Israelites would read this when they first read this, because the Philistines, they, they are the winningest losers. And there's some dark humor here, because the Philistines keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. Any Philistines here? How do we try to resist God? What silly ways are we trying to live as if, you know, he doesn't matter? And how are we hurting ourselves and others in the process? You know, stubbornly trying to do things your way. You're winning at first, but then, you know, you get creamed in the end. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to double down. That's what I'm going to do. And that sounds just like Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And how does God respond? He giggles. He giggles, Psalm 2, 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs because you are not going to win against God. You won't. You won't. And turning aside to pretend he's not there doesn't make him go away. And when we do that, when we do that, we're just like my little two-year-old Audrey, granddaughter. I, first word I ever taught her, mulch. <laughs> I did. We were at uh, the park last spring. And so we're there at the park and playing and and she starts grabbing, you know, the wood chips. And I said, mulch, mulch, mulch. And so she repeats, mulch, mulch. Well, you know, a two-year-old, well, she wasn't two at the time. I mean, but, you know, everything has got to go into her mouth because that's how she's got to experience it, right? So she grabs a handful of mulch, and she's about ready to stuff it in her mouth. Ah, Audrey, no. Done, done. We don't say no. We say done. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> what? Yeah, I just yeah, I'm not going to be able to go to the park with Audrey anymore. So, <laughs> hey, this is all confidential. Okay, really. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so, so here's what she does. Here's what she does.
<laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, you know what? We're Audrey. We're, we're Audrey. <laughs> you know, we just, I'm just going to turn my back, and that way God won't see. <laughs> and he who sits in the heavens laughs. See? Laughs. It's not just the Israelites, or excuse me, it's not just the Philistines that are faithless. Israel's faithless. They're on the verge of extinction. They are. They're about ready to be swallowed up. And they're not bothered by this. Don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? That's the new norm. So, is, you know, is it possible to be so surrounded by Philistine life and Philistine language and Philistine food and Philistine music that we forget who we are? Judges 15 is, is a textbook case concerning the unmistakable influence of culture. Church family, culture is never neutral. Culture is always trying to, to shape us and mold us. Culture wants us to think that we don't have a culture. Others have culture, but we don't. And culture has so affected the Israelites that they're now doing the Philistines' work for them. They go to get Samson. Judah did not want to be liberated because they were too afraid to fight. They had made a career of missing the point of their responsibilities. Why are they in the land? They're, they're in the land for the purpose of being a holy nation. God put them in that strategic part of the world so that the nations would see who are these people? Who are these people? And God did not free his people from Egypt so that they would belong to the Philistines. Just can I get personal here? What decisions are you making now that could one day lead you to say, well, the Philistines are rulers over us. It's just the, it's just the new, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, the church thing, I used to be involved. It was good for the kids, but they've grown now. It really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter whether or not you're connected to a church community. I can worship God on my own. You know, I've got a podcast. I've got earbuds. I'm good. Well, you know, when you're in the hospital, and a podcast can be helpful. I get that. I really get that. But you need flesh and blood. Need, a podcast can't get in your face like a brother or sister in Christ can get you in your face. It takes intentionality. Holiness takes intentionality. Someone wrote, people do not drift toward holiness. Right? You know, apart from the Holy Spirit's work, people don't just gra gravitate toward godliness and prayer and discipleship and faith and delight in the Lord. We, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. 
We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. Judges 15, everybody under heaven is faithless in this verse, really. But God, but God is faithful. If we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. He's not going to let Israel go extinct. He's not going to let his people go extinct. His, his whole purpose in raising up Samson was to pick a fight against the Philistines. And God is not going to let the Philistines love us for very long. He's going to fight because God's a fighter. Redemption is violent because evil is real. And God's mercy is such that he puts us in a situation where only he can provide for us. And, and you know, just about the time I look at these verses and I say, well, God, why would you use somebody so broken as Samson? And then the Holy Spirit says, go look in the mirror. That's what I do. I, I, I use broken people. And for all of Samson's strength, the most admirable portion in this chapter was when he was thirsty. Because when he was thirsty, we finally hear him cry out. He prayed. He showed dependence on the Lord. When he, when he was weak, then he was strong. Verse 19. And God is faithful. He split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Collars spring. And, and get that last phrase. And it is at Lehi to this day. To this day. The writer of Judges is telling us that even though many years have passed, there's still water coming out of that spring to this day. To this day, God provides. To this day, his resources don't dry up. To this day, he gives us what he says we need. To this day, listen to me, wherever you've come from, wherever you've been, to this day, He's faithful. He's faithful. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. And we know that in all things, God works together for good. Doesn't mean everything's good. It means that in all things, God's working for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Do you love him? Then wherever you are, whatever's happening, God's working because he's faithful. Even in our thirst, Samson said, I thirst. And God was faithful. Another Savior would say that, you know. From the cross, Jesus would cry, I thirst. 
Like Samson, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And like Samson, Jesus was rejected and arrested by his own. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, and then he died. But as Samson broke the cords which bound him, Jesus in his resurrection had broken the cords of death. And as Samson put the Philistines to flight, Jesus in his resurrection defeated Satan and all of his powers. You want to know why this form, this picture of Christ is in the Bible? Because Samson is really the last person on earth that you would think would ever be like the Lord Jesus. You couldn't think of a more unlikely person. You couldn't. Samson, the man who went down and down and down, and he's a type of Jesus. What happened to Samson could happen to you and me. And when we yield our life to the Spirit of God, Jesus is reproduced in us. And that's important that we know this because some of us are laboring under a long string of, of unwise decisions and wrong choices and blind alleys and dead-end streets and broken relationships. And every time you think about serving God, a voice whispers in your ear, you're dirty, you're no good, you're broken, you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a hypocrite. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Your past does not matter and it does not have to bind you. It does not have to hold you back. Jesus died on the cross. His broken body, his shed blood has opened the way to heaven. Do you need new life this morning? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you need a new start? Do you need to be forgiven? Jesus has made this possible. If we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Amen.